People are the most consequential and dangerous forces on Earth. Well, personality psychology is about the nature of human nature. It's about people. And wouldn't that be useful to know? I mean, it seems to me, I can't, I can't think of a more important problem. You're listening to the Science of Personality podcast, brought to you by Hogan Assessments, the global leader in personality assessment and leadership development since 1987. Your hosts are Hogan Chief Science Officer and world-renowned personality psychologist, Dr. Ryan Sherman, along with Hogan PR Manager and resident storyteller, Blake Lett. Hello and welcome everyone back to the Science of Personality podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Sherman, along with my co-host, as always, Blake Lepp. Say hello, Blake. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Science of Personality podcast, episode 20. Previously, we mentioned that we were going to have Dr. Michal Kaczynski on to talk about uh, big data and AI for this episode, but unfortunately, due to some technical difficulties, uh, we were unable to get him on and get the episode recorded in time. Uh, for the release date. So we will be bringing him on for episode 21. You will want to stay tuned for that. So instead, today we will be talking about why leadership matters. More specifically, we'll be looking at this topic through a sports lens. So on today's episode, we will be discussing American professional football player, Tom Brady, who recently won his seventh Super Bowl as a starting quarterback in the National Football League. Ryan, can you give our listeners a more in-depth explanation as to why we chose Tom Brady as a case study for this episode? Well, I think the most obvious reason is the timeliness of it, right? Uh, just coming off of his seventh Super Bowl win, uh, lots of talk about Tom Brady, uh, you know, going back for many years, obviously, but more recently, you know, lots of talk about, you know, winning the seventh Super Bowl comparisons to, you know, uh, him and Bill Belichick, not a player, but a coach, right? Winning six with the Patriots and Bill Belichick versus winning, you know, a seventh one on his own, so, so to speak, right? We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, with the Buccaneers, a totally different team. Uh, also, uh, you know, sports has a lot of relevance for for leadership. You know, uh, uh, one of our most popular episodes we ever did was uh, on Michael Jordan, our very first episode. We talked about Michael Jordan and, and leadership effectiveness, uh, using him as a case study and through that lens. And, and I think Tom Brady is a really natural uh, analog for, for studying leadership in, in the uh, world of professional American football. Yeah, and I think whenever we talked about Michael Jordan, and, and you were right, it actually is our most popular episode. Um, it, it, it's close with a few others, but still, it, it's one that still gets significant amount of downloads, um, you know, even today. And we released that episode, I think, seven months ago. Um, but whenever we talk about Tom Brady, we're actually talking about somebody who's kind of in that same realm as far as, um, you know, what we would maybe call greatness and, uh, you know, on the field of play. But, um, you know, maybe he hasn't been regarded in that light uh, for as long as Michael Jordan because Michael Jordan came before him. But now that that conversation is taking place more than ever, uh, as Ryan mentioned, with him winning the Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, but Ryan, first and foremost, you know, Tom Brady wasn't a highly regarded player uh, prospect when he was drafted by the New England Patriots back in uh, 2000. So why do you think this was the case? You know, what were teams seeing and not seeing when assessing his potential as both a player and a leader? Well, I mean, I think if you went back and looked, um, you know, there's all kinds of videos, people, and they show them on television every now and then. 
you know, if you look at him as a draft prospect, didn't look particularly athletic. In fact, I would think he, he was not particularly athletic. Um, I think the biggest knock on him was that I think he was a starter, as I recall, uh, as a junior at Michigan, but as a senior only started about half of the games. And I think a lot of people said, well, look, if he couldn't even start, this guy can't even make the starting lineup for Michigan. Why would he be considered, you know, what, what makes him to be considered a top draft prospect in the NFL? Um, and I said, so I think those are the biggest knocks, right? You say, well, let's look at his athletic ability. He doesn't seem to be that athletic. Um, you know, doesn't have a, a long, a strong track record of performance at a big uh, time university, like many other draft prospects did in that draft. And, and I think between those two things that really knocked his draft status down. Um, but obviously what gets overlooked in all of that is his, his ability to lead, is his um, interpersonal skills and those interpersonal qualities that I think have most stood out. I mean, obviously in the years since, we've seen he has a lot more football talent and ability than, than he was perhaps originally regarded but um, it's those other qualities that have really gotten him to the top. And those are the kinds of qualities we'll be talking about today um, that were completely overlooked um, by most teams during, during that draft. Yeah. And I also think you can see the, the infamous picture, however you want to, however you want to frame it of him at the draft where they took a picture of him. You know, they, they put these poor guys where they're just standing there in shorts and nothing else. And he just kind of looked like, your average guy, you know, he didn't really uh, jump off the the page or off the screen, if you will. And they actually, I noticed whenever the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were celebrating their Super Bowl victory, uh, you know, the week after the they won, the players, a lot of the players on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers team actually had that picture printed on t-shirts that they were wearing at the <laughs> Super Bowl celebration as kind of a, a way to, to say, hey, you know, Maybe uh, maybe y'all overlooked the wrong guy <laughs> because of this picture. But, you know, it's kind of hard to, you know, to give these NFL teams a hard time. I mean, they were just going based on the data that they had. But I think looking at some of his intangibles um, made it uh, kind of one of the, the bigger busts for the teams that didn't pick him in the draft. Uh, yeah. So, well, I mean, it's certainly a case of, of sort of... Sure, this is the data that everybody has, but the question is, are that or is that data any good for making the kind of decision you want to make? And and in some respects, uh, you know, athleticism is clearly an important component to uh, to to performance in in the NFL. But it isn't everything. It kind of reminds me of in Moneyball. Uh, Michael Lewis talks about he shares the story that Billy Bean shared when he first um, went to. Uh, 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 a, a scouting uh, sort of uh, uh, event. Um, and he's, you know, I think it's right in the opening chapter. He says, the first thing they do is make you run. Um, it's been a while since I've read it, but it's something like that. The first thing they do is run you, right? So, and, and they want to see how fast you are, right? And that's the first thing they grade your performance on is, is you know, are you fast? And the, the problem with that is, right? So here's the first thing you're being graded on is, is how fast you are, is that speed, just really isn't that important in a sport like baseball. Yet it's the data that's easy to collect. It's the data that's right in front of you. And it's the data that teams have to make those decisions. And I think it's the same thing when we look at the NFL or any other professional sport. 
is that teams want to quantify. They want to grab whatever data they can. And there is this tendency to grab the easy data. This is easy to measure, easy to quantify. So let's use it. But that doesn't mean it's the best data at predicting the outcome you care about. Yeah, and it's probably another one of those things where it's this is the way we've always done it. Um, For sure. Even with, you know, myriad uh, different ways to do it now, you know, they still just kind of resort back to the old way of doing things. Uh, you know, I think which is actually, you know, a big way or a big reason why Moneyball, uh, or at least Billy Bean and, and that approach to the Moneyball way of doing things actually really took off because they actually started looking at data that really mattered. Uh, but it was against the traditional norms of the way people have done it before. Yeah. And I mean, and that's the hard thing. And it's really funny, the story on baseball, because I, th I feel like it was Spalding, but I'm probably going to get that wrong, that there was a guy who actually started collecting baseball statistics because he was sick and tired of managers making arbitrary decisions based on their gut and who they liked and this and that to decide who to bat in what order. And so the origination of baseball statistics, you know, batting average, hits, runs, errors, all the statistics that are the most standard box score statistics that we know about today um, originated in an effort to fight fuzzy thinking, right? It was to try to give clarity. And the irony is of, of Moneyball was that it demonstrated how those statistics were flawed at doing what they were hoping. Now, maybe they were better than just going with a manager's guess or a manager's gut. But the point is that there was much better data, but it's much harder to get and much, you know, much more difficult to, to, to understand and interpret. And that's really, I think, the, the big lesson is that if you go for that difficult data that's really predictive of performance, then you have a big advantage. Well, that's, I mean, that's exactly right. And, you know, we don't want to get, you know, we've kind of explained the, the data side of things, but, you know, getting back to the original topic, which is more focused on Tom Brady, you know, Ryan, after he sat on the bench his first year with the Patriots and then uh, took over in his second year in 2001 as a starter, he then led his team to a Super Bowl victory that year and then back to back Super Bowl victories uh, in 2003 and 2004. So, Ryan, how difficult would it be for a player to accomplish so much so early and establish himself as a leader of a franchise? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that, that I think is really that really speaks to his interpersonal qualities, um, you know, his personal characteristics, because. I mean, at the time, the Patriots were a good team. When he, when he when he joined the Patriots, the Patriots were a very good team. They were thought to be Super Bowl contenders. They had at the time the best quarterback. I think maybe there was some arguments about it at the time, but definitely one of the top two, if not three, quarterbacks in the NFL in Drew Bledsoe at the time. And uh, Bledsoe got hurt, and 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 that's when Brady Brady got in and it's really odd because uh Bledsoe never got the job back right and again Drew Bledsoe at the time was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and couldn't get the job back with with the Patriots and um so i mean i think that speaks to not just how good he was you know um on the field but how much respect he had of the teammates right that that the, the teammates would say yeah yeah this is our new leader this is the the new person we want to be in charge um, so it, it's clear that he must have been really good, not just uh, from a football standpoint, but have, have really quickly earned that respect. And it's similar to what we talked about with Michael Jordan, right? You know, the first year or so, it takes a while to get the veterans to say, okay, this is your team now. And it seems like that was a, that, that's a pretty quick 
time frame, even for Michael Jordan, that was pretty quick for, for, you know, a couple of years. And it's like, okay, now this is Michael's team. And it seemed like the same thing happened with the Patriots, which again, really speaks to those personal qualities that Tom Brady has. Yeah. And anybody who's familiar with being in a locker room knows that whenever you have a group of veterans who have been there, they've seen it all. And, and Ryan, as you said, you know, they were playing um, for one of the the better quarterbacks in the NFL at the time and Drew Bledsoe. Um, it's not easy to win over a locker room of people who have been there and they've seen all of these things. So I, I think that even speaks more to how, how Tom Brady was able to establish himself. And, and then you also have the old coaches adage of, you know, you don't lose your, your job because you got hurt. I think Tom Brady might've um, gone against the grain there with Bill Belichick naming him because it was clear that they had something in him that they knew, um, was going to translate into success on the field and, and more success than they had had in previous years. Absolutely. Um, okay. So the Patriots then went through some years without a Super Bowl victory, but at the same time, they were still a successful franchise during this, you know, Super Bowl drought. Um, but then went on to win Super Bowls, uh, three Super Bowls across six years in 2014, 2016, and 2018, all with Brady at quarterback. So we're, He's already covered a lot of uh, time there also, you know, being drafted in 2000. We're talking he's winning Super Bowls in 2018 with the same team. Um, what does it take to sustain this kind of success, you know, whether it's on the field of play or just as a leader of a team within an organization? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, certainly that those kind of personality characteristics that we would talk about and, and, and measure with our instruments, things like ambition, that competitiveness, that drive, you know, that desire to compete and win and to keep going and keep competing and to never think any success is enough, right? Um, you know, the, I don't remember if we've talked about this on the podcast before, but uh, the, there was a... Um, a, a, a really important moment. I forget which Super Bowl it was. It might have been 2018 um, when it was 18 or 16. And after the game, I think it was Mark Wahlberg came, was down on the field and he said, you know, to Tom Brady, oh, you're the greatest quarterback of all time. And Brady's response, right? You know, I think a lot of people would just say, well, you know, thanks. That's really nice of you to say or whatever, right? Um, you know, Han Solo would say, I know. Uh, but I, I think, uh, you know, Brady's response was really remarkable. He said, well, I don't know about that. You know, that was, I mean, by any measure, uh, most measures, right, that anybody could use, you'd have to say, well, yeah, he's clearly the greatest quarterback of all time. And, you know, so I think all of the evidence is clearly pointing to that yet for him to say, well, I don't know about that, you know, shows this kind of humility. Uh, you know, speaking of those, you know, interpersonal or those personal characteristics that are really critical, right? So, you know, that that uh, he never got arrogant, right? Never was overconfident. Um, and, you know, that desire to just keep competing, even despite, you know, as you said, there were some quote unquote down years. You know, my wife actually pointed out to me that they had a really long drought between Super Bowls. And I was like, what? I didn't believe that. But they were in a bunch of Super Bowls in there in between. And as I recall, one of those teams, in my to still to me to this day was the best the greatest football team ever. They didn't win the Super Bowl. They lost to the Giants. Uh, that was that famous David Tyree uh, uh, catch game. 
But uh, to me, that team was, I mean, they were beating everybody by 30 or 40 points every week. It was just outrageous how bad they were beating everyone. Um, You know, so they were still really successful, uh, even though they didn't win a Super Bowl in those years. Um, And and I think those are the qualities it takes. It takes that that competitiveness, that drive, that um, desire to come back. Never, you know, never say enough is enough. I always want more. Um, and, and then that humility to, to, um, to, to continue to take feedback and to continue to want to improve. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. I mean, any measure, any statistical measure that you look at in trying to determine, you know, who's, who's a better quarterback, you know, in the, in the national football league. Well, it's, it's very clear who, who it is at this point. Um, I mean, Tom Brady, you know, he's won seven Super Bowls now. And that's never been done before. Um, uh, so I think it's obvious that he is, you know, without a question, the best to ever play. But yet he does have that humility. And it's it, again, because he's probably not satisfied. You know, seven Super Bowl victories to us sounds like, wow, he's the greatest quarterback ever. And he's thinking, well, I got to win an eighth one. Well, you know, and right at, right at the uh, at the end of the Super Bowl this year, they're interviewing him. Um you know, and he says, okay, so seven Super Bowls. So you're going to, and before the guy, the announcer could really even get the question out, he's, yeah, yeah, we're coming back. Yeah, yeah, we're coming back. Like, we're, you know, we're not done. You know, he, you could tell the guys want to be like, so are you thinking about retiring? He's like, no, 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 not, not even to question. Yeah. It's, I mean, this goes back to the Michael Jordan thing whenever they were trying to um, potentially dismantle that roster in 1998. And Michael Jordan's like, why would you do that? We're winning. Like right. come and you basically come and take it from us. But while we're winning, why not keep going? And I think Tom Brady's kind of, you know, taking the same approach to the game with, the, with that same mentality. Like there's no reason to quit now if we're still winning. Right. Uh, you know, Ryan, a lot of people actually, they, they were liking to give uh, Patriots head coach, Bill Belichick more praise than Tom Brady during, you know, this historic run of success, just based on, the you know the type of system and program that he runs he he runs a, a pretty tight ship um but who do you actually think deserves the mo- deserves the most credit and why yeah well i mean you know a lot is made of well obviously leadership is really important clearly the head coach and general manager in bill belichick's case are really critical parts to any sports organization right the you know the general manager is in charge of talent acquisition and and maintaining your talent. And then of course the head coach has got to get the team, you know, a game plan and ready to play every week. And they've been re- you know, really successful for a long time. So clearly, you know, leadership is important. Head coach is important, but I think one of the things we've seen with Tom Brady, and we've also seen this in, in lots of other cases is that the head coach, the general manager, you know, they can ultimately only do so much. They don't get to throw any passes. They don't get to make any calls on the field. Um, and, you know, when we talk about things like culture, right. And, and, you know, a lot of times we think culture comes from the top. Well, the culture is by a bit leaders, but a leader can't, uh, you know, a manager or a coach, or even in a business, the CEO can't say, this is the culture. I want this culture, right. It, it has to be lived and it has to be lived by people who the rest of the team respects. And when, when people would talk about the Patriot way, that sort of culture that was with New England Patriots, it is hard to separate that from Tom Brady, the way he acted, the way he behaved on the field, off the field, um, you know, his commitment to winning, his commitment to professionalism, um, his commitment to his teammates, 
uh, and their success and his commitment to hold people accountable, including himself. Um, that sort of patriot way attitude, you know, if he doesn't live that, it doesn't matter how much Bill Belichick insists on it. If he doesn't live it as the leader of that team, as the quarterback of that team, you're never going to have that kind of success. And and so what we see with Brady is he takes that and he takes that with him to Tampa Bay, a franchise that's been pretty bad for a real long time. And, you know, obviously, and we'll talk about this a little later, brings in some other kinds of talent and things like that. Um, and, and and to turn that into the same kind of results we saw with New England, um, you know, it's really hard to, to, to say it's not Tom Brady. And, you know, and I can give a lot of other examples. I, I've got a friend of mine is a volleyball coach and he called me, um, man, maybe it was a couple of years ago after the worst coaching season he'd ever had. You know, he said, you know, he coaches a girls uh, club volleyball and he said, you know, maybe I just lost touch. Maybe I, you know, I'm, I'm too old. I, can, I can't connect with the team anymore. I can't, you know, get them to do what I want. And I said, uh, let me ask you something. Your best player on the team, you know, think, think of who that was. He said, yeah, I know who she was. Okay. Was she, you know, was she really committed to the team? What was she like? You know, was she volleyball, her main sport? Where she says, no, she's really interested in uh, these other kinds of things. She wasn't really that. And I said, well, stop right there. You can't blame yourself because ultimately, you know, these are kids. And, and I even think it applies to professional athletes, right? They look to the people on their team. You look to the people that you work with to guide how to behave, how to act, how, to, how committed to be, how serious to be about the thing. You don't look to your coaches. Your coaches are old. You know, that's what people say, oh, like the old guy. I don't want to listen to this old, old man or old woman coach telling me what to do. What do they know? They don't know anything about me and my life, but you look to your peers, right? And so that's why, again, when you, when you ask this question about who deserves more credit, I mean, look, let's be clear. Coaches matter. Um, but it's hard for me not to say Tom Brady because, you know, he's the one who drives all those other players to have that commitment because he's the one the other players look to, not the head coach. Yeah, and I, th- I think, you know, with him going to Tampa Bay and immediately having success, you know, if you were looking at it and let's say, okay, this is a draw, you know, you can you can say Tom Brady is the reason, Bill Belichick is the reason, or just say, hey, they're both equally responsible for the success of the Patriots. But then you have this one extra data point where Tom Brady goes to a team that hadn't had much success in, in many, many years and wins in his first his first go. I mean, I think that makes it a little bit clear. Uh, but again, like you said, coaches do matter, but ultimately it comes down to the, the Jimmy's and Joe's on the, on the field, uh, you know, as we, we like to put it over here in America, but um, moving on to my next question, Ryan, Tom Brady, we talked about his physical tools and, you know, he wasn't the fastest. And of course he didn't appear to be the most athletic person in the the 2000 NFL draft. However, he obviously had the physical tools needed to succeed at a high level or else he wouldn't have gotten to where he is. But I'm more interested in how important one's mental toughness is when it comes to being a successful leader, uh, whether that be, uh, you know, on the field of play or in business. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I... 
a couple of things. One was clear, you know, we've done an episode on mental toughness, you know, clearly Tom Brady, you know, hits all the marks there. there there's lots of reasons for that. Even going back to that um, horrific injury he had many years ago um, and coming back from that and still being at an absolute elite, you know, top of the line level. Um, but, but I think the other thing is, you know, I, I believe it comes down to the fact that he's just the hardest worker. He's the most committed. And, I remember several years back, it's not a good year for him this year for, for Duke basketball, but Mike Krzyzewski was talking about um, Shane Battier. And this was a really successful run of Duke teams. And Shane Battier was on all these teams and captain of the team and all that kind of stuff. And he said, you know, it's a really phenomenal thing when your best player is your hardest worker. And I think that's one of the things you get with Tom Brady. Not only do you get this elite level talent, um, but you get somebody who's so committed and working so hard. He's the, you know, the first guy at practice, you know, the last guy, to, you know, just through, look at his diet, right? There's been a lot made about his diet and that, that that's why he can still play. And maybe that's, maybe that has something to do with it. Well, he can still play at this level, but you know, what that says is his level of commitment to winning is so high. And when you play with somebody like that, right, that raises your level as well. And so, you know, Obviously, everybody in the NFL is professional, right? These these people are all committed. They're all wanting to work hard. But having a leader, having somebody on your team that sets the standard, right, that, that says this is how we do things and holds themselves as accountable or more accountable than anybody else, that raises everybody else's level. And I think ultimately that's what sets him apart is not only is he, you know, obviously a talented uh, in terms of the skills needed for quarterback, but he has this other ability to, um, you know, to commit and hold himself accountable to those commitments that everybody else sees and goes, you know what, if that guy is going to be like that, if you're a 22, 23 year old rookie and you see the 40 plus year old guy with that kind of commitment, you think, oh, maybe, maybe I ought to show that kind of commitment too. And particularly, it's especially important coming from him. This is a guy with all of the success in the world, right? You know, supermodel wife, um, you know, tons of money, multiple Super Bowls, MVPs. Uh, you know, to have that kind of commitment still, I think just raises the level of everybody else. Yeah, it's interesting. Also, I wonder how... I would like to be a fly on the wall in the Brady household because you mentioned his wife and I'm curious if they even have their own competition as to who's going to make more money in a, in a fiscal year. Yeah, I think she's been winning for a long time. I think she has too. Um, so it, I'd be curious to see if there's like this internal competition that they have with each other. Uh, and I would love to see that taking place. Maybe we can do a, uh, you know, a Brady bunch reality TV show because I think that would be fascinating, but I well, also think. Oh, well, no, I was gonna. I was just gonna make a quick comment on that. I remember uh, several years ago. Um, you know, so I, you know, my wife, of course, but the audience doesn't. My wife is very competitive. She's a was a, um, a, a national uh, level tennis player in, in in college, and I'm, you know, I think I'm pretty competitive too, uh, but I, I won't get into the details of why, but. Uh, you know, we're both pretty competitive people. And I remember some advice I got from, from Bob uh, Hogan a few years, several years back, you know, saying, Oh, you know, my wife and I like to do this and we like to compete. And he says, don't compete against your wife. And I thought, you know what, that's actually really good advice. And I, so I'm hoping, you know, for, 
for for Brady and, and Giselle that they, that they actually don't compete against each other because it's just I think it's better for the relationship. Well, Ryan, I wouldn't know anything about that except, <laughs> of course, uh, but I, I do know that, you know, just the, the different co- <coughs> competitions that I had with my brother and sister growing up, like we, we would, we'd beat each other up just to win. And, you know, but that's just that competitive, competitive nature that some people have. But um, uh, moving on to the next part of this topic, this is where I think it gets pretty fascinating. So prior to the 2020 season, the Patriots did not renew Brady's contract and he ended up joining the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, just as we had mentioned earlier. Tampa Bay had only won one Super Bowl in franchise history. And strangely, that came in the 2002 season when the Patriots narrowly missed the playoffs during their, um, you know, three championship run from uh, 2001 to 2004. That was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' last playoff victory until Brady joined the team this past season. So, Ryan, what does this mean for Brady's legacy as a leader? You know, what can others learn from him and how he approached the situation in Tampa Bay on his way to a seventh Super Bowl victory? Yeah, well, I'm going to say a few things here. And, you know, I've read a few articles uh, and I've talked to plenty of, uh, you know, haters that would talk about, you know, wow, you know, Brady, he didn't even play that good. He didn't have that good of a season. And, you know, uh, I've read articles that said, well, they didn't win because, uh, because Tampa Bay scored 30, whatever points they won because the Kansas city chiefs only scored nine, which means they won because of the Tampa Bay defense and, and all of these kinds of things. And I, I think all of that misses the big, big point, which is that the re why, was Tampa Bay's defense so good? And to me, the answer to that question is because they had Tom Brady. And it goes back to what I said in the previous question where we talked about his level of commitment and raising the level of your team. But it goes even further than that. Tampa Bay added a bunch of talent after Tom Brady signed, right? They added talent that a lot of other teams had written off, but they added talent that, uh, well, in some cases, like in the case of Rob Gronkowski, they asked, added talent who had retired, right? Um, they added talent that wanted to play with Tom Brady because they knew if we have Tom Brady on our team, that we've got a chance at winning. And that says something about his ability to lead that a lot of people don't have, right? And it wasn't just, you know, I don't know, like in the in the NBA, you'll see you know, players who go, oh, I want to go play with LeBron James because he's great, because he's a fantastic player, right? And that that all is, is, is that's all fine. But I think there's something different about Tom Brady. It's it's not about I'm going to go play with Tom Brady because he's the best, he's the most athletic, the greatest player. I think they want to go play with Tom Brady because they want to play with somebody who leads the way he does. It's going to hold himself and others accountable for their performance. Um, and so that ability to attract talent, to attract that talent to Tampa Bay, who, as you said, you know, was a terrible franchise for a long, long time, um, you know, to turn that around in one year. Yeah. Okay. We can give a lot of credit to the general manager, but I don't care about the general manager. He's never going to sign some of those players. If Tom Brady isn't there, those players aren't going to sign up to play in Tampa Bay. If Tom Brady's not there. And so, 
to not for, for these haters, you know, who are writing these articles about how good Tampa Bay's defense was and how it wasn't Tom Brady, they're totally missing the point that that defense wouldn't be any good if he wasn't there, right? And so leading in some cases is also about attracting talent. It's about being able to bring people along with you. And then, as I mentioned earlier, lifting that talent up to a place where they never thought they could reach before, right? And even though Tom Brady's the quarterback and plays on offense, you could see that effect on the defense. And that's what I mean when we're talking about your opening question about the intangibles, those those personal characteristics that drive teams and organizations to, to succeed that are hard to quantify. And one thing, I don't know if you saw this, but I was I was looking at it. I can't remember if it was, I think it was right before the Super Bowl. I think I saw this the Saturday before. Tom Brady, at, I think it was 11 o'clock at night. That uh, that entire week leading up to the Super Bowl was sending text messages to his players saying "We will win" like in all caps. Um, I mean, he had that confidence. But I think, you know, whenever you're you're behind this, you're following this leader who's who you firmly believe going into the season and throughout the season, even though they had some struggles early on. That if this guy's in charge, if this guy is leading the way, I'm going to trust him because he's been there many more times than any of the rest of us. And I, I think he just really set the tone for that team uh, throughout the week, letting him know that he he truly thought they were going to win. Even whenever a lot of people were saying, well, the Kansas City Chiefs are just better. They've got the new up-and-coming quarterback who's going to kind of push Brady off of his pedestal and, and take it over for many, many years to come. But Brady wasn't letting that kind of negativity get into his uh, his teammates' heads. Well, and let me tell you something we know about team performance, organizational performance, team effectiveness, is that when you have a plan, right, and uh, it, it's just critical for everybody to commit to that plan, right? Or in, in this case, you know, Brady sending that text message, right? Well, what does that mean psychologically, that text message? It means that the leader of our team, right, that the best player on our team, the most important player on our team believes in us, right? If you, you know, if, if you're in a, in a company or an organization and your boss says, um, hey, we've got this project we've been assigned to do. I think it's kind of silly, but we have to go do it. How committed do you think your staff is going to be to doing that? right, to, to doing that project, to doing a good job. They're not going to be committed at all. Well, just, you know, nobody really believes in this. We don't really think it's a good idea. You know, we're not behind it. That belief, right, coming from the leader of the team, right, when you put that, when you put that to everybody else, right, now everybody else believes, right, everybody else is committed to the cause. And, and it's really hard to quantify the value of that. Um, of getting, you know, it, it could be for anything, whether you're a military or any kind of business organization. Um, we know for sure, we've done a bunch of research on this ourselves for teams, that it's not enough just to have a mission. It's critical that everybody is committed to that mission, right? Everybody knows what their role is and everybody's committed to achieving that mission. If everybody's, if some of the people are like, well, I don't know if this mission's that important, you're going to fail. You're just not going to succeed. And I think that's really what's underlying that text message story that you just shared is that, you know, he's able to inspire, you know, that belief, you know, Tom believes, I believe too. Yeah. And I, I, obviously it resonated with the players because they came out 
just absolutely <laughs> ready to play. I never even felt like the game was in question, uh, which I, you know, everybody I think was expecting this kind of epic matchup, you know, the, the old guard versus the new guard, you know, and it was a pretty boring game actually. Um, it, it never really felt in question for, for Tampa Bay at all. And I think obviously you have to point to Brady as to, to why that was the case. Ryan, really quickly, I want to put you on the spot also because we've talked about this through the sports lens so much. I mean, what would you consider to be, or who would you consider to be the the business equivalent of Tom Brady? Or maybe maybe it's even like the political equ- equivalent of Tom Brady. And you, know, you can look at this throughout history, not, not just current uh, events, you know, who stands out to you? Yeah, I mean, I think a few, uh, you know, names stand out. So I think one is like Winston Churchill, right? Um, I don't know that he was really, um, we could debate about his policies, right? We could say, well, was this a good policy? Was that a good policy? I don't know, this and that. But one of the things that made him so effective during World War II was his confidence and belief in, you know, that he inspired to uh, to the Brits, particularly, I mean, things were really bad for the Brits. I mean, you know, uh, you know, Nazi airplanes flying over London, you know, dropping. I mean, it's it was pretty grim, um, you know. But but his consistent belief, you know, that inspiring that kind of belief uh, in, in his uh, in his people, anyway, uh, I think is really important. I, I mean, I, I think uh, you know, in, in terms of U.S. military. Um, U.S. Grant is one who comes to mind as sort of you know, having that, you know, when you hear, heard what, you know, much like what you hear players who play with Tom Brady talk, what, what they say about Tom, right? You hear the same kind of things about people who fought for U.S. Grant, right? What they would say about him as a leader. Um, so to me, those are a couple of names that, that come to mind. I mean, I think there's certainly, um, you know, cases where we can find that in, in the business world as well. Um, but I, I try, I, I'm not trying, I don't, I want to avoid anybody who's alive. Uh, so I'm trying to pick some, some folks that, that aren't with us anymore. Well, yeah. And I think um, a couple of points to each of the ones that you picked, you know, Dr. Hogan likes to tell the story about how uh, Ulysses S. Grant, he actually, whenever he was a general of the Union uh, Army, that whenever he would, <laughs> he'd ride his horse across the front line and Confederate soldiers would cheer. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's just a crazy story that here you are, you know, your enemy is cheering for this, this general, but it's because of his reputation and kind of what he, you know, brought out in, in those who followed him. And so that's impressive. And I, for some reason, I just feel like if Winston Churchill were, had the same technology we had today, he would probably be sending a, we will win, text message to all of the people <laughs> right, right. in Britain, <laughs> you know, whatever, because I, I mean, I was familiar with, with how bad it was, but I, I read the book um, in 2020, the, the splendid and the vile that really goes in depth on, on Churchill. And whenever um, the Nazis were, were bombing uh, London and surrounding areas. And it's just incredible. The, he actually, I mean, yeah, he was concerned. He knew that, it was going to be important to to get some allies in there to help, but he never once, you know, had it never once did he like shed any doubt that there was, that they weren't going to win, you know, somehow, some way they were going to win. 
And I think he truly believed that and he got his people to believe it as well. Well, and, and I mean, that, as I was saying before, that's just really critical because, and the thing is, people aren't dumb. Your team isn't dumb. The people who work with you, they can see through it, right? If they can see in that meeting, if you have faith, if you have, or if you have any doubt in the direction the company's going, right? And so, you know, the ability to to convey that you don't have doubt, the ability to convey that you really are behind the cause, you're really committed, you really believe in what you're doing. I mean, that that's critical. Uh, you know, if if because the team will sense it, the team will pick it up if you don't really believe in it, and and then you're not gonna you're not gonna win if, if everybody doesn't believe. Well, Ryan, with that, I want to wrap up with with one more question. Um, Tom Brady has openly stated that he'd like to play for several more years, which at his age is unprecedented in the, in the NFL um, at his position, really any other position except for maybe a, a punter or a kicker, somebody who's not taking a lot of contact and is very uh, specialized in what they do. So knowing one's physical tools will inevitably diminish over time. How important is Brady's approach to leadership at this point in his career? Well, I mean, I think it's it's really essential, right? So you, you can't make up for... Um those kind of mistakes with uh with just sheer raw talent and, and raw ability right so you've got to have um everybody committed to the cause um you know you know we we can go back and look at michael jordan's career lebron james career you know early on when, when people are younger you can make up for you know the, those sorts of lack of leadership skills you can make up for um, a lack of commitment uh, from somebody else you, because of your sheer talent, that you can just overcome those things. Um, but when, as that talent, as your ability to just, just to overcome those things because of your throwing arm or because of your foot speed, uh, as those diminish, it becomes even more important that, that you're able to do things like what he did in Tampa, which is recruit really talented players to come play, to persuade uh, those players to provide a vision for those players for what it's going to be like here to hold those players accountable to push those players to, to the top of their ability because you can't do it all yourself um, and, and so I, I, you know I think it's it becomes even more critical as you get you know further further into your career and I think that's also true in business you know Blake uh, if you're you know uh, a brand new employee at a company, a lot of the stuff you have to do as an individual contributor is just really about that. It's about your sheer ability to get things done, to do things really well, um, to produce quality results. But as you move up in a company, as you become into a much more of a leadership role, there's not enough time. There's not enough. Um, you don't have. Uh, you, you cannot put that kind of a time commitment into making sure everything's perfect, getting everything done, um, just putting more oomph into it. It's really much more critical that you inspire and that you can um, you know, persuade your team and your crew to come along with you, um, to, to commit to the cause, to do a great job, to produce those high quality results because you, you can't do it all alone. And I think that's the same thing you know, we're seeing with Tom Brady. You know, he can't do it all alone. Um, like maybe he could when he was younger or in, in other sports house, certain players can when they're younger, but when you're older, it really requires that, that exceptional leadership to, to, to succeed. Yeah. And, you know, as we say at Hogan, we define leadership as one's ability to 
build, maintain, and maintain a high-performing team. Something that, I mean, the data is there. Tom Brady has been doing that <laughs> since since the beginning, but even even more so now. I feel like that we would, I guess, call this the twilight of his career. But who knows? He might go for ten more years. <laughs> you talked about his diet, um, and you know we we kind of joke about that, but he's doing something different <laughs> that obviously is helping him um, sustain this high level of performance uh, for both himself and, and those around him, which is, it's really incredible for those who maybe aren't familiar with him. Um, Cause I know we have a lot of listeners outside of the U S who maybe don't pay as much attention to this, but uh, it, it truly is a remarkable thing that he's done throughout his career. And who knows when he's going to stop. So Ryan, uh, thanks for coming on to, to talk about this. Um, we, we told everybody that we were going to have uh, Michal Kaczynski on to talk about big data and AI, and that is in store for our next episode. So you won't want to miss that. So join us again in two weeks whenever we talk with Michal about all things big data and AI. Uh, you won't want to miss it. Cheers, everybody. This has been the Science of Personality podcast brought to you by Hogan Assessments. You can access all podcast episodes on our website, scienceofpersonality.com, or on the streaming service of your choice. See you next time.